Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. This is Rob Moore here with a new, different episode, How to Be an Artist and a Millionaire. Now, if you could see me, you'd be seeing me doing the inverted commas with your fingers action thingy. So I'm going to talk about artist as in my previous life as an artist, but also art as an analogy or metaphor for anything creative or sort of non or anti-capitalist. So there are many hobbies, passions, vocations that you and plenty of people have got that you wouldn't necessarily think you could make millions or billions or a huge business or enterprise out of because maybe they're a bit creative, arty, fluffy, whatever. And I had that dichotomy because in 2002 to 2005, I was an artist trying to get ahead and I had every perceivable, conceivable negative belief around money. You know, I thought that rich people were greedy. I thought that capitalists were evil. I thought that making money as an artist was selling out. I thought if I charged what I perceived to be a lot for my work that other people would think I was greedy or I was sort of trying to screw them or I'd be making an unfair amount of money. I had dozens of hang-ups. And the reality was they weren't real. They were just real in my mind. And in studying and researching for my new book, Money, it's been really interesting to study artists because obviously most artists never make any money while they're alive. And most artists struggle with the, can I be creative, arty, not sell out? Can I do what I love? You know, really sort of have work that I'm proud of and make a lot of money out of it. And those two generally don't mix. But capitalism is something that fuels your passion and Bill Gates has coined creative capitalism as something that balances capitalism with philanthropy. And um, I will, when it releases, put a convincing argument to you that you can be creative and rich, you can contribute and be a capitalist, and you can be arty and also build a significant business around that. And the people that I studied that I felt had done that were Andy Warhol, Damien Hirst, Tracy Emin. Now, I've got a quote for you from Damien Hurst. He's worth reputedly around about $198 million. So what's that? £198 million. How weak the pound is at the moment. Worth a lot of money. Now, he was someone when I was an artist that I, if I'm honest, deep down, I admired. But I didn't, all of my warped and envious beliefs and, you know, my own failings were kind of, layers that were um, hiding that truth. And actually, I just thought he was a bit gimmicky. You know, he wasn't a true technical artist. And I didn't even know him, by the way. I'm talking to him like he's my best mate. I didn't know him. But this is what he says of money and art. Money should never be thought of as a dirty word. I think a lot of people think that artists need to be poor or that you can't have a focus on money. I think money is a huge part of our lives. I've always thought it's as important as love or death or something to come to terms with, something to understand. It's a key and it's something that you need to respect. And 
I wish I'd known that when I was an artist and I, and I want you to know that now as an entrepreneur who does what they love and loves what they do and you know you you open your chest and reveal your heart and soul to the world in your creative expression of your business and uh, you know sometimes the charging and the marketing and the selling and you know sometimes that can not really feel like expression or it can be the harder side of business and um, I agree with Damien Hurst it's something to embrace it's something as real as life and death so if you go back to the, the struggle I had I don't know if you can relate to this but I had this creative conflict when I was in debt that money and art didn't mix and um, art happened then to be my failing hobby that had turned into a career and you possibly do or have had you know, your own vocational equivalent of my art or your art. And it was a re retrospective revelation to me to know that you could merge your passion profession and monetize a creative vocation while truly and freely expressing yourself. And it was a positive shock to know that my self-worth was holding back my net worth. So I'm going to go through eight things I do differently. You know, I've made 50, 60 million quid now. I don't know. I've lost count. It's probably more than that. And, uh, you know, I've been able to express arty things through business like vision and strategy and solving problems and creating new products and innovative marketing techniques and writing my books and all that kind of stuff. Someone actually said to me today, hey, Rob, do you miss art? Um, you know, because obviously they know the um, business capitalist disruptive entrepreneur side of my life now. And, and I would really have missed art if I didn't have a creative outlet in business, but I have many creative outlets in business. So, you know, we're 10 years on now or nearly 11 years on. So it's almost like an anniversary to look back. What would I do differently? Having experienced 10 years, having gone from £50,000 in debt to, you know, doing better and still more to learn and do, by the way, before you think I'm blowing my own trumpet. Also, in, um, it's kind of like a celebratory, is that the right word? Not celebrity, celebratory moment because today, live today, I finished the second edit, the sort of deeper edit of my new book, Money, it's 155,000 words. It's 623, four, 624 pages. It's 11 years of my life and the hardest and longest and deepest and most researched and hopefully best work I've ever done. So um, let me celebrate with you and say thank you for being a subscriber. So that experience and what I didn't know as an artist and studying Hearst and Emin and Warhol and all the other artists that, you know, Picasso who'd actually embraced making money and as an artist and, and, you know, and being a really successful artist, there are eight things I think if I could go back and do differently, I'd do differently. And they are number one, wealth while I'm alive. <laughs> Forget being dead, wealth while I'm alive. Number two, Self-worth. Number three, marketing is money. Number four, serve, solve and care. Number five, fair exchange. Number six, leverage. Number seven, ignore the haters. And number eight, compounding. So I'll summarise each one for you. So number one, wealth while alive. I'd give myself permission to make a handsome living and profit out of art. I'd commit to fair exchange in valuing myself in and through my work. I'd ignore all preconceived idea, preconceived, preconceived ideas that arty types don't or shouldn't make money uh, and you can only really make money in art properly when you're dead I mean what a waste of time that is I'd see it as my duty to build wealth around my art and serve myself and others equally uh, and live my legacy as a great artist to be remembered and I want to say the same thing to you don't wait until you're 20 years experienced or you think you've got enough now to build a great business tell a great story and make a great and handsome profit. You can do it right now. Number two, self-worth. 
I'd go back and tell myself that I'm worthy of wealth and riches. You know, I, I, it's okay to have that. I'm worth it. Everyone's worth it. I am too. All my life's work that had brought me to be an artist right up until that point, that has value and people want to pay for that. I've got to charge them for it. My worth must be reflected in my prices and service and my chosen profession that I love as an amazing way to express my unique value and talent. Now, I'd been painting and drawing since I was three or four years old. I got an A-star at GCSE, 100%. I got an A-level, 98%, resubmitting much of my GCSE work because I had a year off college with a motorbike accident. I don't say that to brag again because it's kind of embarrassing that, you know, at 16 years, years old, I was as good at art as Tiger Woods was at golf, or not far off, certainly in this country. Okay, Justin Rose. And yet I completely flopped. I failed as an artist. I got myself into more debt. I probably sold less than 50 paintings. I, I didn't make any money. And what I wasn't valuing was myself, my story, you know, my GCSE results, my A-level results, drawing and painting since I was four and five. And in, in the classes at the back, when I was disengaged in the other lessons, I'd just draw. And in breaks and lunches at, at Sixth Form College, I'd draw. When everyone else was playing, playing pool and going down the pub, I'd draw, I'd paint. I'd go back to the art classes and sky of other classes. I'd go back to the art classes before school, after school, and paint and draw. And yet I was charging nothing. I was charging a tenner for a fiver. No, that would have been good. I was charging a, yeah. No, I was charging a fiver for a tenner. I was charging nothing for my work. For years, people have been asking me where I buy my watches. Many of you may know I'm a watch collector. I'm a watch investor. And those as an asset class have done me very well in the last 15 years. I have never shared where I source my watches from or my watch dealer until now. My watch dealer used to be a professional footballer for Manchester United and he formed a watch brand called Broadwalk and he sources the higher-end brands like Rolex, Audemars Piguet, Patek Philippe and Richard Mille. I trust him, I've used him for many years and recently we've done a partnership. Hence I'm inviting you if you want to start investing in watches and protect your money from the banks and inflation to check out Broadwalk. That's B-R-O-A-D-W-A-L-K. And the website is broadwalkgroup.com. The email is sales at broadwalkgroup.com. And please don't share this, but his number is 07496 878153. Obviously, only message him if you're serious about buying and investing in the higher-end watches. People have been asking me for years, and for the first time ever, you can get access to my watch team. Because I wasn't valuing myself. So let, let the old me be the warning to you. Now it's different. So I have a £35,000 mentorship. I have a £25,000 mentorship. And, um, you know, the prices are going up all the time. And um, I'll have a £50,000 mentorship and a £100,000 mentorship. And what I found is as my fees go up, my value goes up as perceived by the market. And um, as my fees go up, I attract better clients. I mean, the £35,000 mentorship is only for millionaires. And it's pretty good at finding its target demographic because it's called the Millionaire Mastermind. And you have to be a millionaire to even apply. And, um, you know, yeah, back in my art days. I mean, I'd, I'd charge, for a meter by meter canvas, I'd charge 495 but the gallery would get 40%. I'd let them charge, discount it down to 395 So I'm getting 40%, uh, uh, 60% of 395 all the materials, all the cost. You know, I was probably making 60, 70 quid max per canvas, you know, a big canvas. But then what about the 50, 60, 80 hours it took me to do the canvas? Yeah, and um, yeah, don't be me. <laughs> don't be the old me.
All right, number three, marketing is money. The world isn't going to hand me a living. Just um, quickly doing this uh, sanity check so you know where I'm at. I am going back to the 2002 me and giving um, the artist me advice about, um, you know, making a huge, good career business out of art. So the world, I tell myself that the world isn't me, going to hand me a living. I have to share my message to the world. I have to get it out there. I have to be proud without being cocky. I have to relentlessly promote my work whilst caring for others. Being the best artist is only part of the business of art. So I need to communicate my value, my uniqueness, what I stand for, what I stand against to the world, because it doesn't owe me anything. I mustn't be scared of ruffling a few feathers along the way, as long as I'm authentic to who I am and what I do and what I've lived. I need to balance scale and scarcity, always retaining my perceived value. I need to embrace all leverage and network media to get my work seen and my brand built. I need to be open to changing technology and not just paint all day alone in my dark studio listening to Ramstein while not selling any of my work. So, you know, I wasn't embracing all the social media platforms or all the gallery owners or all the agents. I was scared of ruffling feathers so I didn't get out there and... You know, go and shout my message from the rooftops. And, you know, Damien Hurst, when he sold his decaying shark in formaldehyde for 12 million US dollars, wasn't worried about ruffling the feathers of of a few art critics. And I think he got accused of being a slab of sea bass by a very famous art critic, but he still sold it for $12 million. In fact, that art critic probably did him a favour by getting his message out there. And I was really scared of that. And when I wasn't selling any work, what I'd do is go back into my studio and get into my depressed state and I'd paint again. No, wrong. If art isn't selling, I need to get to the gallery owners, the agencies. I need to enter my own competitions. I need to get it seen. I need to upload it on all the photo sites and YouTube and social media and... Instagram and Pinterest and, you know, all these visual sites instead of thinking, oh, well, the art's not good. I better go and paint another art and hope that someone is going to knock on my door uh, and come and not make me a huge offer for it. But, you know, when you when you do your work alone and you become a, a victim of yourself and not necessarily on by a fault of your own, it's just, you, you know, you're not surrounded by anything. You're not inspired by anything. Then, you know, you can get very in yourself and and victim and play the same pattern over and over. And that was mine. It was like, you know, my comfort zone and my pattern was, if work didn't sell, go and do more work because it must be the work. But it wasn't the work. It was the lack of marketing. And, uh, you know, there was a time in my life where I had done great marketing as an artist. And I'm pretty well known in the Peterborough parts. Uh, I won the face of Peterborough 1999. Um, slightly embarrassing. I can't believe 350,000 people. I've just told that because I've never told anyone that on social networks anyway. But, you know, that would, that was, I was quite well known in the town, but I didn't leverage it. Just went and hid. Didn't want anyone to know. I was embarrassed about it. And my sister entered me in. So if you're listening, don't do that again. <laughs> and then, so I didn't leverage that. I didn't jump on that. I could have done a lot with that. And then I um, created probably my best piece of work. Now, technically my worst piece, but from a marketing point of view, my best piece of art. So this would have been 2000 and between 2003 and 2004. So I had a cat called Wizzer. Now, we inherited Wizzer from um, next door, the house I lived in, when I bought it off her to the pub I lived in. My dad helped me get the deposit for the house because I was skin, skin artist. And we inherited this cat wizard because this lady was moving away. And we, we called him Wizard because his tail was erect and had the little sort of 90 degree angle like a Dodgem car. 
Uh, and he used to whiz around like he had electricity through him. And he was like the coolest cat ever. And in my dark art days, I used to spend a lot of time on arty, poetry, sort of creative forums. And I used to write a lot of poetry and used to put a lot of the poetry into my art, hidden or on the back. I used to like my, make my work individual. And um, in the darker days, because art can get quite dark, you know, when I was probably a bit depressed and down, I started exploring a lot of um, sort of irony and self-deprecation. And I decided to write this little ode to cats. Now, I wrote an ironic piece before you think I'm cruel. I'm just, uh, this, is a, this was an ironic piece. It's terrible. But I wrote this little ode to cats and I basically wrote about gouging out its eyes and putting its head on a spear and parading it around and... And I thought, well, considering I have this cat who I love the most, who's the coolest cat ever, this, you know, people might get my artistic irony because cats aren't really that warm and friendly, but this one was. And anyway, so um, thought nothing off it, posted it on a few forums, got some mixed responses. And then I woke up one day and I thought, I just had this idea that if I, I could um, write this on the front of my house. So I daubed it, as, as was put in the papers, on the front of my house. And I made it look like graffiti. On the front, I put it in kind of brick colour, and then on the, which was rendered white. And then on the side where it was brick, I put it white. And I basically, basically made it like the size of the house. And it looked sort of... You couldn't really work out if it was art or someone had graffitied my entire house. And um, anyway, you know, it's my house. I do what I want. It's this creative expression of irony and ex- exploration. And um, literally within not, not long, a couple of days, it was on the front page of the Peterborough Telegraph. And um, it just kicked off for like a month. So um, people were writing in all the time. The, disc- the letter section just kept going and going and going. I was accused by Councillor Miners. He said um, it, was a, it was basically a crime and that I should be locked or I should be um, put in jail and the key should be thrown away. I should be locked away and they should throw away the key. That's what he said because I put this on my house. Some of the neighbours kicked off. And one of the local ladies, who was lovely, by the way, I always used to say hello to her when I was cutting my hedges, she said that she used to see me um, in the bushes with a rifle shooting at the cats on iRoad. Uh, by the way, you know, you can't get in that bush because it's like you just couldn't get in it. I don't have a rifle and I've never shot any cats, obviously. Uh, but she, she wrote that in and people were saying that, you know, I was evil and Satan and everything else. But quite a lot of people were like, well, this is, you know, it's irony. He's got a cat. This is, this is art. It's his house. Let him do what he wants. The council went like hard at me legally. They, first of all, they accused it of being, you know, um, against planning regulation, but, you know, like it was my house. But it, um, then they um, said that it was dangerous to the traffic because all the traffic was stopping and um, looking at it and taking photos. I mean, li- literally for quite a long time in Peterborough, which is only 180,000 people. So, you know, I wasn't like Damien Hurst. But this was going, going on like wildfire. I, I, when I'd go into town, people would talk about it. I got, must have got three or four slaps in the face from girls that thought I was cruel. And it just went mad. At the brewery next door who... Um, at least the pub to my mum and dad threatened to revoke the license for my mum and dad unless I got rid of it. And like I said, the plan, the, the um, planners went mad. The local planning council, in, you know, in their local planning office, they have it as a case study now because it blurs the lines of planning permissions. And they actually use that story as a case study because I know um, one of my best friend's wives, she works there. So this was all going on. Now, if I was Damien Hurst and I know now, I knew then what I know now about marketing and you know, uh, that, that, that my art career would have taken off. No doubt about it. It would have gone viral. Uh, you know, I definitely was starting to sell more work. I was getting more notice. I got some haters. 
And um, I didn't, I was just kind of like completely naive of it all. I didn't do it for really for attention. It was just creative expression and experimentation. And looking back, it was kind of a bit crap, <laughs> to be honest. But, and I, I got so scared of all this. I got so scared of what the, you know, the, the, the legal threats of the council. I got so scared of people saying they're going to throw me in jail. I got so horrified by the threats to my parents in the pub and everything else. I just, um, I just painted over it. But when I say painted over it, the front of the house was fine. I painted over it with, in, you know, in sort of cream outdoor paint. But the side of it took me like a week all day, every day of getting the white paint off with all this, you know, I don't know, this paint thinner. And it was so embarrassing doing it there all day, every day in the summer while people were walking past knowing what was going on. And uh, yeah, so um, probably never heard that story before. If you look deep in the archives, you might find something about that. Uh, yeah. So don't miss your opportunity to ruffle a few feathers. Don't miss your opportunity to get your message out there. Be authentic. Don't do it for a gimmick. I mean, that wasn't a gimmick. It was something I was expressing myself. Okay, step four then. Serve, solve and care. So remember, I'm going back to myself in 2003 and giving myself retrospective advice on how to be an artist and a millionaire. Uh, by the way, millionaire, it's a banded about phrase, isn't it? I mean, it's really, you know, one million pounds is not a lot of money anymore. So, you know, I'd, I would say um, let's turn that into multimillionaire or let's turn that into billionaire or let's turn that into whatever measure of financial success means to you. So serve, solve and care. I need to care about myself to let my passion over, overpower my fears and care about others to give them work they want to pay fair and big money for. I need to balance the two. My commission should be just what my clients want, listening very carefully to their exact needs and caring about the smaller bespoke details and personalizations. I should care to over deliver and then ask them for referrals immediately. I should listen to the problems my clients have and solve them through my work knowing that this is my economy and it negates busts in the economy. So this, this thing is very important to say, you know, are you in control of your economy or are you a victim of the economy? Now, when you're in control of your economy, then it doesn't matter if prices are going down or it's Brexit or it's a weak pound or, you know, we're in some kind of recession. In, I tell my previous self in recessions, the rich still keep spending. And if I care enough about my clients, to make the work bespoke, to make the work exactly what they want, to personalise it, to put little details in. I was actually quite good at that, writing little details and handwritten notes in the back, but I never made anything of it because I was too blimmin' embarrassed and scared. All right, step five then, fair exchange. I would give my clients a little more value than they pay for. I should choose a niche and a customer type specifically, ideally where there's no price ceiling whatsoever. So Russian billionaires. I must continually grow and increase my value and prices. I must always do the right thing, solve customer issues, and trust that the money will come back to me in abundance. I must make sure I reinvest fair profits into my own marketing and materials and growth, and also to my important causes and charitable functions, and um, you know maybe even set up a foundation. Step six, leverage. I must value my time to the maximum and look to reduce my time for money exchange. I should consider print runs and not just originals. Could I leverage others to paint my work like Damien Hirst did? He had, this, um, he had these spots paintings and he had the paintings that he put on a spin on a wheel and he'd get other people to paint them. He's, he hires 20 people in his studio that are doing his work. And of course, that's had huge criticism from the old school art critics. I just think that's great leverage. Of his famous spot paintings, I think there were 
14 or 1500 done it, but he reputedly only did 25 himself. That's how I do art now, not painstakingly make originals that I couldn't charge a lot for. And if I did an original, then I'd do a print run of it as well. Okay, so could I, uh, for example, produce digital art? Could I get my art through network, the network concept, through scale, through social media, sell it digitally? There's an artist who's um, just set up a cryptocurrency called Bitcoin, and she allows you to buy her art that she hasn't done yet through this cryptocurrency. She literally sells inch by inch space of her future art. So going back as my old artist, could I embrace new technologies, disruptions, things that I could leverage and scale? So what else could I do? I'm, I'd need to have systems, scalability, and not be the typical one-man band artist. Could I find the best agents, the best gallery owners, and not just sell my work on my own? Could I give them a bigger cut so that they would give me a chance so that I could get my foot in the door? I'd have to get out of Peterborough, network with the best buyers, the wealthy collectors. I'd want to get introductions to their friends and their affluent contacts. I'd need to embrace all social media. I'd need to embrace building a brand. I'd need to embrace new innovations. I'd need to make sure I have partnerships. I'd need to find a Mark Homer-type business partner if I could and look to have lifelong agent friends like Jorge Mendes was to Cristiano Ronaldo. I'd also probably try and get someone like Damien Hurst or Tracy Emin to teach me to be my mentor or at least to study their work, read their biographies, autobiographies, learn what they do and how they did it instead of being jealous and envious or just making out that they're selling out. So step seven, ignore the haters. There'll always be critics and there'll always be haters. Make sure you know the difference between the two. A critic and a hater are different. A hater is someone's just trolling you for the sake of it. It just hates everything about you or what you represent and probably doesn't even know you. A critic, though, listen to them. Get feedback. Ask for feedback. Seek to improve consistently. Embrace your critics because they can make you better. Build a good relationship with them. You know, look at in the sort of football world, you know, the managers who uh, look after the journalists, embrace them and don't push them away, end up getting a better response from them. So be gracious with all critique, even haters, even haters, keep your cool, never be seen to lose it publicly, be elegant with them. You could probably turn them around, but if you can't, politely ignore them and move on and don't dumb down your vision, your mission and your message. Don't let critique or trolls or haters affect your mood, vision, or living your legacy. Follow your own path clearly. Do not get dragged down into other people's commentary about you. Be grateful for everything, even the critics and haters. Be grateful for the good and be grateful for the challenge to grow. Now, of course, art, that's one of those things where art critics are an important part of art. You know, you put, you, you, the thing with art is your art is your soul. It's an expression of who you are. And when you do your work, that is a quite a vulnerable position where people are judging it. Oh, don't like that, or I love that, or, you know, that's too expensive or whatever. And um, so you can be very vulnerable, but that's part of it. Embrace that and you'll grow. So step eight, compounding. Keep on keeping on. Keep your main thing your main thing and don't keep starting and stopping. When I was an artist, I'd experiment so much, so many different niches. No one would really know who I was as an artist. I didn't have an identity. Hearst did. Picasso did, Emin did, Warhol did. You need to keep doing things long enough to get known for it and build a brand. So be patient, have faith, work both hard and smart. Keep doing your visualization, your mantras and working towards your goals daily. Balance the realistic and the optimistic goals and targets, but keep doing it long enough to allow compounding and to build great momentum. There's so much more work at the start, but there's so much more money at the end. And finally, I'd say this to myself, pass on your gift to others. 
Set up an art school or a foundation, have your own studio that's open to the public. Allow those less fortunate than you or those just starting in art to have a creative outlet funded by your huge profits, thanks to capitalism. Make a load of money and then give it back through to the up and coming generation. Teach all of the people I had in my studio, my foundations, not just art, art, but the business of art, sales, marketing, brand, all the things that the great artists who've lived and made 198 million know that I didn't. So nothing was wrong with art, but everything was wrong with me. The things I'd allowed myself to believe became my reality, but I wasn't broken. I just didn't know what I didn't know. I had everything I needed within me. I had the art skills. I had the ability to learn. I had the passion, just like you do for your model. But it was trapped. It wasn't liberated and unleashed like Tracy Emin had done and Damien Hurst had done. And Tracy Emin said this, and I love this. She said, this is art. I went to art school for seven years. I got a first class honours degree in printmaking. I've got a master's of arts in painting. I really know what I'm talking about. I'm a brilliant effing artist. If I wasn't, I wouldn't be having the level of success that I am. So like Tracy Emin, you are brilliant at what you've done. You're brilliant at who you are. This is you. Don't let the rest of the world convince you that it's not. You've served, you've honoured, you've learned, you've given a huge amount of your life. You're great at this thing. You need to let the world know it. And it's okay to make a few hundred million in the process. Don't be like I was as the artist. Unleash your latent hunger for what you love. Share it with the world. Care about others, but shamelessly promote, persist. Tell and share your story and you will make a lot more money and a big difference in the world. So hopefully you enjoyed this slightly different topic on how to be an artist and a multimillionaire, both metaphorically and literally. I really do wish I could have gone back to 2003 and told myself all this stuff, but hey, you can't change the past. You can change today. You can change the future. And um, thanks for tuning in. If I can help you in any way, let me know in the Disruptive Entrepreneurs community or on my Facebook or Twitter page. If there's anything you would like me to do, anyone you'd like me to interview, just let me help you. And thank you for being a disruptive entrepreneur, remembering that if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.